0: Morning, morning. It's so good to be here this morning. Um, Listen, I I know when you look at me and you see this big frame and believe it or not, back in high school, it could move. It could really move. It was explosive and could outrun you in a sprint easily. And so for all my sins or talent, back in our school, I actually met it on the athletics te- uh, team running sprints uh, uh, sprints, so 100, 200, 400 meters, uh, 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 nine again. but I never did any long distances at all. In fact, I hated them. I even hated running laps to just uh, warm up. So I never even did those. That's how much I hated running long distance. And so we were at a, an athletics meeting for our school, uh, for our school where we, it was a must-win for some reason. And so it meant every place finish would count. And and so as a school, we couldn't afford to not have any uh, anyone run, uh, uh, have no races run every single race for that particular meeting. And so when it came to the 1,500 meter race, which is a few laps around around the track, we for some reason had no one running it. And so uh, and so, our athletics coach was actually in a frantic panic looking for anybody and anything to actually run this race. And so I happened to be one of the unlucky souls. He was lying on a bank near him when he grabbed me and thrusted me towards this race. Now, I'd never run anything remotely close beyond, uh, 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 beyond uh, the sort of sprints. And so as he thrusted me into this race, I really literally thought I was going to die. Now, seeing my, my, my horror, one of my friends who was lying also beside me at the time yelled this bit of uh, piece of comforting advice to me as I was making my way towards the race, and she said that she said, "If you want to make it to the end and not die, just keep looking at the feet in front of you." I had absolutely no idea what she meant, but when the gun went off, I just did what she said, and so I kept looking at the feet in front of me. I finished in fifth place out of a a, a track uh, or or runners, uh, about 15 or so runners uh, runners that day. Not a podium finish, but an impressive one, considering I've never, never run anything like that before. And it was my only first and last 1-5 ever in my life. life. And so, in fact, afterwards, the coach wanted me to run more. I was like, heck no. Am I ever going to run any long, uh, long distance, uh, uh, distance race? And so, and, and so I owe all my success for that 1,500 meter. Granted, it was a short-lived uh, long distance career on the track to my friend uh, because her piece of advice proved to be so crucial, so crucial in helping me run that race. Because it, as it turns out, when you actually keep looking at the feet in front of you, what happens is that you begin to start to track at their pace and so that's what helped me forget everything else around me and i see despite my inabilities helped me finish that race i wasn't trying to come fifth unknown to me i just locked on the feet of fourth just as well that it wasn't the feet of the first place, right? Because there I would be trying to chase after that guy, and everyone thinking I'm trying to be a hero. When I had absolutely no cooking clue what I was doing, and so locking my feet on the uh, in the feet in front of me, uh, my eyes on the feet in front of me, is what helped me actually finish the race, uh, race and complete that particular race. And so, who you choose to be your pace setters will prove to be crucial in helping you complete. The race. And so we're turning in the book of Hebrews down the application stretch of this particular book where the writer of Hebrews is wanting to exhort us and call us, uh, call us to actually live for Jesus. Because if nothing is better than Jesus, then there is absolutely nothing else better to live for than Jesus Christ. And so to do that effectively, we will need, uh, we will need certain postures, certain approaches that we take towards our lives. And so last week, we saw the first one, that we ought to approach our lives as an exercise of faith. Today, we come to the second approach, and that is life as a race of endurance. Got to approach our lives as a race of endurance. And so come with me in Hebrews chapter 2, uh, I mean chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. We'll look at two verses, but don't let them deceive you. They are already a comprehensive impact. And so, two verses this morning Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, in the original language, there is one main clause and main exhortation and application in these two verses, which everything uh, else in these two verses is built around, and it is this clause, let us run. Let us run. And so the Christian life contains a race that, that we need to run with endurance. And so that means that will not uh, th- uh, that means is that you will need to exert effort for the long haul in order to run this race Christian race of faith effectively. And so the Jesus worth pursuing isn't going to be easy. Isn't going to be easy to pursue that Jesus, Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the Christian life is a race of faith. Race of faith that we must run with endurance for Jesus Christ, and there are three aspects or elements we will need on this race in this text that would actually help us, help us as a sort of as some kind of a, a runner's guide as we look to run this race faithfully. And so let's begin. The first one is this: you got to track with the right base setters. You got to track with the right. Pace setters. Look at verse 1A. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is the New Testament's equivalent of my friend's advice. Keep looking at the feet in front of you. Uh, in front of you. And so this great cloud of witnesses are the men and women in chapter 11 who adopted this posture of faith as they ran this, uh, the, this race, as they ran, lived out their Christian lives, uh, lives. And these men and women ought to be seen or deemed as, as, as if they are uh, uh, some kind of fans on the sidelines, uh, sidelines egging us on. No, but uh, the word used here for witnesses carries with it the meaning that their acts of faith ought to actually bear testimony to us as a form of encouragement. And so we are to look at their lives and draw from it the encouragement that we need in order to keep running in good pace uh, pace this race of faith that we are called to run. And so therefore, they are the right pace setters that you ought to be tracking on your race of faith. Now, the fact that the author refers to these men and women in chapter 11 mean, it means that not everybody or to actually operate in, in, in that sense. And so scripture is full of life examples, right? But not all of them are worth following. And so that means that therefore you will need to exercise discernment as to who are you tracking on this, in this race of faith. And so you'll need to you know, use wisdom to choose rightly who will be the right pace setters for you. Which is why studying the Bible is a crucial habit that Christians must absolutely uh, 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 absolutely endeavor to do. Why? Because how will you know if you're not poring over the scriptures, which kind of right in the, uh, in the scriptures that you ought to be tracking on your race of faith? And so studying the Bible is not optional if we're to run well, faithfully, for Jesus Christ. Another is, uh, is uh, uh, um, fellowship within the local body, within the church. Why? Because the right-paste setter, setters are not just found in the pages of the Bible, but also in the body of Christ that we ought to belong to. Therefore, you've got to lean into community to discover them. Which men and women in this room ought you be tracking with? If you're looking to run this race of faith with great endurance. These last two years worldwide have actually exemplified why this is such a crucial decision to make. Because what have we seen have Seen within local churches and, and, and the body of Christ? That if you will neglect fellowship within the community or the body of Christ, you will suffer for it on your journey of faith. So therefore, you've got to be leaning in and resist all the competing uh, 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 competing alternatives offered to you out there in the world if you're to actually track on this journey of faith and to run this race well. Now, like with most things in our lives that are worth doing, they don't come at little little cost, right? They will cost us much as we look to try to be Faithful in tracking with the right pace setters in our lives. It will cost us much. Uh, uh, much. And so what I'm about to say next, I actually mean it for your encouragement. To actually really encourage us, even though it might not sound like that at first. If you don't yet know, then you've got to get this. That our God seldomly opts for the easier route. Our God seldomly opts for the easier route. And so applying ourselves to track with the right pace setters will cost us much. It will be hard. The Jesus worth following, there is, or put it this way, there is no easier race to enter if you're to pursue Jesus Christ. There isn't. And uh, there isn't one at all. It will cost you much uh, much if you're, to Jesus, uh, uh, if you're to pursue Jesus Christ. And so we've got to understand that and make a peace with that, if we are to run this race with endurance. Because it is an easier race. And we know, and we realize that it is an easier race. Why would I say that? Because look at the laugh. Loves of the uh, base setters that, 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 uh, that we are told about in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, right? It is so easy to covet their hard moments in life, right? Abraham and Sarah receiving the promised child, uh, uh, a miracle baby in their old age, or the people of Israel triumphantly crossing the Red Sea, or Rab's life being spared when the whole city has been slaughtered. And so we look at those, and those are the Instagram reels that we covered, Absolutely. But what about all of the strife and troubles uh, of their life? And so what about the lifetime of barrenness that Abraham and Sarah had to suffer? What about the centuries of slavery that the people of Israel were subjected to? What about the objectification of a body for sexual pleasure that Rahab as a prostitute was subjected to? No one treats those with hashtag blessed, right? And yet part of their story of their lives as they look to pursue, pursue the God who was calling them. And so we got to get it out of our heads, this belief that if I am in God or in Jesus and I'm pursuing Him, life will be easy. It won't be. It won't be. We're called to run a race of faith that is a long-distance race, a race that will require endurance. And like any marathon runner will tell you, those kind of races get really hard. Get really hard. At some point, you have to consider stopping and hydrating or push through to gain a a, a second win. And so, likewise, with our race for faith in Jesus Christ, it will get hard. And that is why you will need the right pace setters to track with. Pace setters that will tell you to slow down when you will need to or pick up the pace because you have to. Pace setters who will say, hey, you need some refreshment right now or push through to the end. And so as you consider to run this race of faith as someone who is in Christ Jesus, I want to ask you this morning, who are the pace setters you're tracking with? Who are the pace setters you're tracking with? Which saints, past and present in the local church that you're seeking to emulate, track with, as you run the race that is set before you with much endurance. Verse 1b, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and so that's sin that has us entangled. And so to run this race of faith, to keep up the pace of this race, the second thing you'll need, you'll need to travel light. You will need to travel light, at light. Don't carry extra baggage in sin, because it will weigh you down and tie you up. Now, before we look at how to travel light, let's consider two things that the author does not mean, or is not saying at all. And so the two things that the author is not saying, the first one is this, that you should worry more about certain sins than others. That's not what you saying, Because throughout the book of Hebrews, the author uses the word sin in a more generic sense. No sense whenever he refers to it, and so when he's talking about about it, yeah, sin that easily entangles. He doesn't have a list of speci- uh, a list of specific sins in mind, as if to say, if you avoid those, then you're fine. Not at all. Uh, not not at all. And so it's important for us to note that, so that we don't end up making some sins more encumbrous than others. And so, oh, pride and pride and gossip. Oh, those are not big. The opposite, sexual immorality. Ooh. Or uh, corruption, yeah, those are big big ones. And so what are we doing when we treat sin in that way? Here's what we're doing. We're allowing the scandal factor of a sin to be what determines how much of its impending effect we will actually tolerate in our lives or not. Allowing the, the scandal factor to now determine whether we will tolerate or not. And so, therefore, this morning, don't allow yourself to be duped into thinking that the sin that you may be caught in uh, uh, up in, in a moment is, okay, oh, you can bear it a little bit. No, that is actually a part of the spirit of our age of compromise, which we must not allow to creep into our lives. Our lives. In the spirit of this age of compromise, then we end up saying that, oh, things aren't so bad, why? Because others are doing it too. Or I've lost Kind of my se- sense of horror at that particular sin, and so I will allow that to play, uh, uh, to play out a bit in my life, leading to me getting entangled by. It. No, every sin, all sin, can be encompassing. There's no small or large quantity of sin that you can choose, sort of, kind of, you know, what to go, or go with. Any sin can become a poison that will keep you from running your race of faith vibrantly. So we got to, got to. Uh, uh, God who takes sin seriously. Be vigilant over any sin in our lives. The second thing the author is not saying is that you're doomed to be entangled by sin. It's not what he's doing. Just because he recognizes the the entangling effect of sin, he isn't saying that that's a fair complete in your life. Why? Because as Christians uh, uh, who are saved and sanctified by the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, entanglement by sin is no longer a destined lot. It's not what we're destined to. And so it's not a 50-50 bargain between good and evil at play in your life and who knows how how it turns out. No. If you're in Christ Jesus, then you're freed from the power of sin over your life. Sin no longer gets to dictate what you do because of your redemption in in Christ Jesus. And so the presence of sin is real. Not that, It's tempting and entangling effect is there, but you are no longer governed by it in Christ Jesus. That's not the picture that the gospel paints of those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we have been freed to walk in the newness of life that comes from our crucifixion and resurrected life, uh, 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 life in Jesus Christ. And so we're not doomed to sin being a player in our lives. Oh, but buddy, I've been trying to live out this this redemption, but I can find myself continuously going back there. You know what that all that says about you, if that's really you, that you feel like you're trying to live uh, a life, a life of holiness before God, but you keep going back to this. place. you know what, what it says? If you're really truly in Christ Jesus, that you need to keep trying. Why? Because sin is no longer your identity. But your redemption is. And so you keep trying to walk out your redemption in Christ. Why? Because you have been empowered by Christ Jesus to live a life that is free of sin. And so we ought to be urging one another as brothers and sisters in Christ to lead lives that are disentangled by Disentangled by sin. Why? Because you are people who are in Christ Jesus and have been called to live lives that are worthy to God. And so then, how do we do that? Two ways. We ought to actually live this, uh, this out. Look to travel light. The first way will be by focusing on the effect of, of the sin in our lives to shrug it off. And then the second way will be by confessing the sin, sin to shrug it off. And so let's look at the first one, focusing Focus on the entangling effect of the sin to discern how to shrug it off. Because we are people who are easily scandalized by sin. Easily scandalized by sin. And so we don't stop long enough to actually think, think and ask and discern as to why has that particular sin got us entangled? Or got, got someone we know entangled? Why? why? And that's precisely where we need to look so that we can then discern what it is that is actually holding us captive so that we can know what we're bringing to God in order to walk and live in the freedom that he brings in the gospel. Because the entangling effect of sin works in our lives, to, looks to entangle us in three particular areas of our lives. And so A, the first, God. And so in how we think and feel about God, that's how sin will work. What are you thinking? What are you feeling on your, uh, on your head and on your, uh, on your heart about how you feel and think about God? And so how I'm thinking and feeling about God. Is God, God actually good towards me over my life? Or is God actually really moving in ways that I need Him to and desperate for Him to do so? And so, the, the entangling effect of sin will look to try to convince you otherwise. And so, you know that sin is looking to entangle you when you, you actually stop believing in the goodness and the grace of God to, in how He acts towards you. And so, you're starting to feel disgruntled, disappointed, disbelief or despair towards the way that God is treating you. And so, sin is beginning its work of entangling us. The second area be, will be self. And so, again, working on our hearts, working on our minds, our mind. You know that sin, uh, the entangling of, of sin, uh, our sins work is in effect when, when you start to predominantly view yourself through guilt and shame on the one end, or pretense and pride on the other. Because in guilt and shame, what it does is it, uh, it, it's, it triggers indulgence, uh, indulgence uh, within uh, within us, and so you couldn't be feeling any worse than you already do for having done that, and so why stop now? You're already hit rock bottom. What good could be expected from someone like you? And so you keep indulging, instead, and it keeps entangling you deeper pre and pride fuels a sense of invincibility. Oh, I'm not like other people when it comes to this. I would, could never do something like that. If only more people were as awesome as me, I tell you, that's how we'll fix the world. And then with that sense of invincibility, you lower your God. sin strikes. Seizes an advantage and settles in. See others, so the, the uh, especially when it comes to sin done to, for, or with somebody, there's usually thoughts and feelings that sin is looking to hold you captive towards that particular person. And so, take some examples: racism. What are you thinking? What are you feeling towards that particular group, uh, uh, people group that has you captive in how you will choose to act towards them? Pornography. What is it that you're feeling or thinking about that human body that you will look to have it satisfy some deep longing within you? Or how about approval? What are you actually thinking that is you thinking that you're so less than that you have to look or act in a certain way towards that particular person or group? And so our false perspectives and feelings about God, self, and others are the fertile soil where sin looks to actually sow its weeds of entanglement in our lives. And so as we come to think about our sin, don't just stop at what you see in front of you. You've got to ask yourself, what is beyond it? What is the sin beyond the sin? And usually it is something about how you are thinking and feeling in these three areas. That sin is actually looking to actually seize and exploit within you so that you will be further entangled in that particular sin. So we've got to focus on the effect of the entangling effect if we are to discern exactly what it is that we will need to bring to God so as to experience His freedom in that, those particular areas. And then second, so we've got to focus on its entangling effect to discern. Then second, we've got to confess the sin to shrug it off. Confess the sin to shrug it off. Confession is a tool to uh, helps us disentangle. Disentangle from sin in our lives. And I've said it before from up up here. We don't confess so that we would inform God of what we have done. It's not like we'll come to God and say, God, I've done this. He's like, what? You did what? Hey, Jesus, come here and listen to this cat. Like, not at all. Not at all. He already knows. And so why do we confess? We confess so that we will come to terms with who uh, who we are and what it is that we have done so that we will bring that to God with no pretense or sense of trying to cover up or hide who it it is we are and where it is that we need God's grace to work in our lives. That's what confession is there for. And that's how it begins to disentangle us from sin. And so we ought to confess to God. To God, that's the first place we start. And so, since the fall, human beings have become dishonest to themselves, to others, and ultimately to God about who they are, what they see in issues, uh, uh, issues are in their lives. If you don't believe me, just look at Adam and Eve. What happened when God confronted them about what they did? They played the blame game. And we have kept playing the game as their descendants ever since. And so, instead of coming before God in our sin, and standing before God and saying to God, God, who am I going to lie to about what it is that I've done? About what it is that's beyond the sin that is beyond my sin. Who am I going to lie to? Your word says that you know every thought." of the inclination of my heart all the time. You see that? And so I'm not going to try to spin your story, God. But I will come just as I am and recognize who I am and say, Lord, would you have mercy? You see, what confession is affording us before God is it is affording us the opportunity to be able to draw near God with a humble and repented heart that says to God, 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 I am that man. I am that woman who desires things that are contrary to your will. Would you help me? Would you help me? And of course I would. This is what God's response is. And so we begin to fear, uh, feel and experience God beginning to disentangle us from our sin. And so we start by confessing to God, and then secondly, we confess to one another. We confess to one another. And so as we begin to confess to God, it begins the process of disentangling us from sin. But by God's grace, your grace, He has given us each other so that as we will confess to one another, we will find the help that we need to walk in the grace that He's providing for our freedom. Uh, uh, For for Listen, here's what God knows about you, and I really want you to hear me this morning. Here's what God knows about each and every single one of us. And it is this, that you do not get entangled by sin simply because you're ignorant of His will. Say that again. God knows that you don't get entangled by sin simply because you're ignorant of His will that's what he knows about us. He knows that you get entangled by sin precisely because you're good at self-deception. You're good at self-deception. Each and every single one of us is good at deceiving ourselves about the, the horrors and pains and destruction of the sins of our lives no sooner than we get a discernment about what might even be beyond the sin, the sin that I'm caught into, I may end up thinking some days that, ah, it ain't that bad, surely? And so that's why I get back there. What's happening there? I'm deceiving myself. Deceiving myself into believing, "Ah, ain't that bad? Ain't that bad? And so what is God doing by giving us confession to one another? He's surrounding us, with people who are just as good as we are in deceiving ourselves. So that by the power of His Spirit at work within us, that gives us the discernment to realize that, yeah, yes, what, what we are doing at the moment. And usually, you don't realize it in yourself, but you see it in others, right? You see where others are deceiving themselves, but not always catch it in your, in your own life. And so by surrounding us with others, You will be able to see it in your life as well as you see it in others' life. What is God doing? He's giving us the opportunity to actually walk in greater freedom as we bring these things to the light and experience the power of our redemption. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of repeating the same kind of mistakes? Same kind of pattern of sin over your life. Aren't you tired of that? Listen, this morning I want us to do something this morning. And I'll tell you up front, it's going to be risky. But I want us to do it this morning so that by the grace of God, that we will perhaps be convicted deeper than perhaps we have been before of why we need to confess. To one another as we look to run this race with endurance. And so in a moment I'm going to ask you to stand if anything I'm about to describe or any of these things that I will describe will be true of you. And I'll join you standing not because I so happen to be preaching this morning but because it will be true of me too. It'll be true of me too. And so I want you to listen for a moment and stand if any of this is true of you, that you're tired, like I've said, of repeating the same pattern of sin over and over and over again. Yeah. That you that that you said to yourself that last time that it will be the last time. But then you find yourself back there again. Or you know it's only a matter of time before you do it again. You're tired. Absolutely tired. Why cannot figure out? Why cannot I put this this thing to bed once and for all? You hate every single time. You find yourself back there again. Hate how it makes you feel. Hate how disappointed you, you feel about yourself and start to hate How disappointed you feel like God is towards you as you look and you find yourself caught up in in, in that sin or in that pattern of behavior again. And you just want there to be just this one thing you could do once and for all that will set you free from that. I want to invite you to stand if any of that, stand with me if any of that is true of you, of your life this morning. And as we remain standing, I'll ask us to remain standing, but I want you to look around you. But the people that are standing and the people who are remaining say, I just want you to look around you for a moment. Literally, just look around. Almost not, not, not many people left sitting, and that's not a go for the people that are saying, I want you to sit. If that's not true of you, please sit. And so as we remain standing, guess what I want to just a, a bit towards, as you look around and you see the people around you, what what are you seeing at the moment? What are we doing at this moment? We're simply confessing that we're people who have issues, who have sins, or who have things happening in our lives, our lives that we don't seem to be able to get a hold of and need help for that. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And so this morning, I want to urge us or encourage us, encourage us in our boldness of it. Because if you're prepared to stand as a show, as admitting that that's true, then can we not perhaps be more bold to pursue one another in love to so as to help? Because this morning, as I look out in, 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 in this congregation, some of us are yet this morning, we're family members who are standing right next to us. Some of us are here this morning with friends whom we see are standing with us. Some of us are here this morning with people in our small group or gospel community with whom we meet with in uh, in midweek who are standing as a show as to say, hey, there are things in my life that aren't that perfect that I need to be working on. And so can we be bold? So as to actually confess with words to those people, as to what it is that we are actually having to wrestle with so that we would have the help that we need by God's grace. Can we be bold enough as you have looked around and you're seeing people that you know, whom you love? whom you want the best for in their walks with God, actually approach them after this morning and to say, hey, brother, sister, you know that I love you. So how can I be of help? Anything. What is it that you need? How could I be of help? Or, well, we allow this to become that one time in church, that awkward moment when we all stood up to say, like, hey, there are some things in our lives that we need to be confessing but then did nothing about it. And now we chose to pursue one another in life by the grace of God to help each other. You can take your seats. I don't know about you, but when I think about this race of faith being a race that will require endurance for the long haul, So it's a long distance race. I cannot get the feeling like, I want to see the end, so that I can make up my mind whether it is worth running, uh, running right? Uh, and, so, and so, the bad news is that you get no such indication at the start, but the good news is God will give you the strength every step along the way by, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so as the worship thing comes up, we find, we find the strength that we'll need every step along the way by the third and final thing, and we'll end here. Look to Jesus. Look to, G, uh, to Jesus, that's how you'll find the strength that you'll need. Because crucifixion, the cross, which is mentioned here, was actually an instrument, or, or, uh, 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 an instrument of shame and humiliation. And so it was the worst form of capital punishment meant to actually humiliate, shame people. And so it was only reserved for then criminals and slaves were the only people who would, uh, uh, would be crucified, uh, uh, crucified because of that. And so if someone got crucified, it was to actually assure how much they were shamed and despised. That's why they were crucified. But the author of Hebrews sees it the other way around. Sees it the other way around. Did you catch that? Looking to Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And So what is he saying to us? He's saying in Jesus' case, Jesus turned the table. Tables on what was supposed to have brought in shame, He shamed it. He shamed it. And so what are we being told here? We are being told that it is only through Christ Jesus, as we follow the way that He ran this race, are we able to discover the strength that we will need to turn our moments of shame into those of great joy in the Lord. How do we do that? By actually looking to God looking to God in those moments, bringing our moments of shame in this particular race. And to shame, you can add disgrace, discredit, degradation, indignity, bringing those moments at the feet of God, asking that God will fill us up with a greater joy for what awaits us as we run this race of faith with much endurance and well. And so this morning, as you go out into the rest of your week, which moments, which areas of shame and despair are you going to endeavor to turn into moments of joy in God? As you look at the redemption that is promised to you, to you through Christ Jesus, that will keep you running, keep you running for great endurance. You've looked to Christ and Christ alone. Mm -hmm. Let us pray, Father. And so it is there that we want to come this morning and say for in order to be able to do that, to be a people, we will not allow the moments of our shame, Mm -hmm. the moments of our disgrace, the moments of our despair to shape our lives as we look to run with greater endurance and faithfulness towards you. We ask that you help us. God, we need you more than ever. We need you to fill us up, to remind us, to cause us to see what truly awaits those who will persevere to the end. So that because of what we know, the good and faithful servant uh, uh, commendation that awaits us for having run this race, because we know that it is true. Because Christ Jesus died once and for all, bringing the train of His glory. brothers and sisters in Christ whom you are accepting and whom you are purifying, because we know that to be true, Lord. Give us the joy we will need this week, this week, as we're confronted with the realities of our lives, the pain points, the, the shaming points, the disappointing points of our lives. Give us the joy we will need in, those weeks to, uh, in, in this week to look at those things through the lenses of our Christ. So that that then we will be empowered to run this race of endurance to your glory. And all God's people in the room say, Amen.